beautiful. That's what comes to mind when we think about our human design, and we're progressively exposed to the perfection of God's original design. Our lives begin to reflect that beauty. Your life is His design, and His design is beautiful. Thank you for engaging with us as we are about to be further exposed to the beauty of His design as we look into the world to see Jesus. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your good grace. And we thank you. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your good grace. And we thank you for your favor. Lord, we honor you and we give you praise. Thank you because you're good and your faithful love endures forever. Thank you, dear Father. Our hearts and our minds are open to receive your word. To receive your word with joy and gladness. We thank you because you are here to do us good. at Songs of Solomon chapter number 1 and verse 1 to 5. Songs of Solomon chapter number 1 and verse 1 to 5. From the King James Version and then we would flow. Amen. Amen. All right. Let's read together one to go. The songs of songs read is Solomon's. Let him kiss me with the kisses. Read it slowly now. People don't like romance. Read it slowly. Take it easy. All right. Let's go. One to go. Thy name is as ointment poured forth, therefore do the virgins love thee. Draw me, we will run after thee. The king has brought me into his chambers. We will be glad and rejoice in thee. We will remember thy love more than wine, the upright love thee. I am black but comely, O ye daughters of Jerusalem, as the tents of Skidah and the curtains of Solomon. Let's continue, continue, verse 6 and 7, want to go. Look not upon me, because I am black. Because the sun has looked upon me, my mother's children were angry with me. They made me the keeper of the barriers, but my own barriers have I not kept. Uh-huh. Tell me, O thou whom my soul loveth, where thou feedest, where thou makest thy flock to rest at noon. 
Hallelujah. You may be seated. God bless you. Welcome to church. I'm sure many of you, until light begins to shine on the conversation, it feels like you read English, but it is Greek. <laughs> you just read something in English, but it sounds very Greek. Final episode, Bridals, and I will teach this for a bit, 30 minutes at the max, and then I will answer your questions from last week. So, it is all you now. Help me. Bridals, last episode from the Code of the Elves series that we are going to be looking at today. Tuesday or so, I was asking the Lord, what should I teach? And He clearly instructed that I reaffirm to His bride His, his love that you are in a wedding relationship with Him. I should reestablish certain truths that some of you may have forgotten. Many, for many, Christianity has become a religion more than it is a marriage. All of our Christian experience is actually a reflection of our marriage with Jesus. All. And if you don't get comfortable with being a bride, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, you have to learn how to be a bride. So, sit here and imagine you're in your bridal shower, including the guys. You know, I think that some guys might miss out on the goodness of God because they're just not soft enough. There's this exterior post-hard man, you know. But I showed you that being a man is believing, you know, not your hard face and that the fact that you don't smile. Why do you even want to go into the future without smiling? You see, so there is a part of our experience with Jesus that is going to be beneficial if you realize, both male and female, that there comes a time in your relationship with Jesus where you have to take the position of the bride and just be a receiver. So the Lord has sent us today to reestablish these truths and show you truths from Scripture that I believe will be a blessing to you. Can we say amen? amen? So, first of all, let's start with the fact that... Um, the book of Songs of Solomon makes it into what we call the canonical scriptures. Because many of you, when, you, when I was younger, when I read the book of Songs of Solomon, I was wondering what he was doing in the Bible. To be honest, I wondered that what is this kind of erotic book doing inside the Bible? Which kind of thing is <laughs> You see all kinds of conversations. You're wondering, what's the problem? But then, um, first things, as I began to study and pray, of course I've always known this, but it became stronger this week. First thing that you need to realize is that 
for it to have made the canonical scripture, for it to have made it as part of the books in the Bible, it is not a societal book. It is not a literature in that sense. It is not a societal book. It actually points to Jesus. For nothing would make the canonical books that does not point to Jesus. Because the Bible says that all of the books, alright, speaks of me. Lo, I have come in the volume of the book, alright, to do your will, O God. So I come, Genesis, Revelation, Exodus, all of the books actually point to Jesus. And that's something that you need to know, including Songs of Solomon. Okay? The other thing that I want you to know, so that's the first thing, that's the first thing that I want you to know. Number one, this book is not about some literature, it's not about some poetry, it is actually pointing to Christ. And I'll show you that much in today's teaching. Okay, so this book is actually about Jesus Christ. But the interesting thing about the book is that there is a parallel going on. It's it's unveiling the life of Jesus, but it's also unveiling the life of Solomon. So you have to look at it. There are times when the book talks about Jesus, and there are times when it talks about Solomon's life. So you have to look at it like that. Okay? Now, um, this book, as much as it talks about marriage, it is not talking about Solomon's marriage, because Solomon's marriage is not an example for any of us. <laughs> Hello? Um, none of you will go to Solomon and say, Solomon, brother, just borrow me a cue on how, how to marry. Because that would be a woeful, woeful, woeful marriage. You understand? So, the book actually talks about Jesus. And then there's also a parallel where it's talking about Solomon's life and Solomon's experience as well. So, you have to look at it intrinsically. For you to understand what exactly is going on. Are you, are you hearing what I'm saying? So it speaks about Jesus actually more than it speaks about Solomon. Isn't it amazing also, and this is just a side note. Isn't it amazing also that Solomon was full of wisdom. But Solomon made some of the biggest blunders in his life. Have you not, have you not thought about it? Yeah, that's what happens when you follow the gift and not the giver. If you follow the gift, yeah, <laughs> but if you stay hard on the giver, you know that you make the right choices all the time. So, um, we want to look at this conversation from this perspective. Okay? Now, if you look at 1 Kings 4, 32, let's just quickly go there because um, I started teaching now. 1 Kings and verse 32 you would find something that points to what we are talking about today it says 1 Kings 4 and verse 32 it says and he spoke 3,000 proverbs speaking of Solomon and his songs were a thousand and five speaking of Solomon Verse 4, verse 34. And there came of all the people to hear the wisdom of Solomon, 
from all kings of the earth which had heard of his wisdom. So, we know that he wrote a thousand and five songs, okay? And he wrote a lot of proverbs. We also know that people came to inquire of his wisdom. Now, please take note of this. How do we know that Songs of Solomon speaks about Jesus? Because it is like Jesus, it is like God, to give wisdom that points to his son. So if he gives wisdom at all, and we know from this text that he gave wisdom to Solomon, if he gives wisdom at all, it is wisdom that actually points to Jesus. Hallelujah. Because the Bible says that he will use the foolish things of this world to confide the wise. So, if you ever hear about wisdom, alright, and you hear it from the perspective of God giving something, the first thing that it points to is Jesus. Can we say amen? amen. So, now, we are told that Solomon wrote a thousand and five songs. But this is songs of songs. It is not a play of words. What he's saying is that what Solomon wrote in the songs of Solomon is actually chief of all the songs that he wrote. So, um, in, my, in my study and my details, alright, this is a messianic music. It's a messianic music. It is chief of all songs. It's, it's called songs of songs because... It is chief amongst all the other songs that Solomon wrote. Literally, not, not in any... Alright? It is chief. Now, the other thing is, why then is it chief? And we'll begin to look at that today. The first thing that you would realize when you study the book is that Solomon, apart from all the many numerous people that he married... He married a lady called the Shulamite woman. The Shulamite woman is actually a picture. First of all, let me just, before I go ahead of myself. The word Solomon means peace. Please write that down. Take note of that. That's important. That's actually an important aspect of this conversation. The word Solomon actually means peace. So, um, in other words... Another word for Solomon is um, someone who completes something. And you will see how it points to Jesus in a few moments. But Solomon marries a woman called the Shulamite woman. And there are types and shadows, but these things are just very beautiful to look at. Even in names, in numbers, God, God puts the signature of Jesus in all these things. The Shulamite woman is not a Jew. She's a Gentile. She's from Shula. Shula. It's, a, it's like around the Philistine region. Now the idea is that Solomon, who is a Jew, will go and marry a Gentile. Always, has always been the picture of how Jesus is going to be married to Gentiles. But it was as I was studying that I, it dawned on me that it wasn't just Solomon... That got into a marriage covenant with someone who was a Gentile, who wasn't a Jew. Okay, now remember that God himself said that you shouldn't marry from outside of Israel. But then God permits, or God allows, 
for Solomon to get married from outside of, of, of Israel. Now here's the other thing. When you now go back into the ancestry, all of his ancestry were marrying from outside. Were marrying Gentiles. Something is cooking here. Abraham gets married to Sarah. Sarah was not, was not a, an Israelite. <laughs> Isaac got married to Rebecca. To, um, yeah, to Rebecca. Rebecca was not an Israelite. Jacob got married to who? Rachel. And, and Rachel was not an Israelite. Solomon is now married to the Shulamite woman. And the Shulamite woman is not an Israelite. Symbolic of the pointing to the fact that someday, because of what Jesus has done, you will be married to a gentleman groom. Can we say amen? amen? This is the part where you actually really need to take your place as a bride. Because in this relation, in this, and this is, this is why it's different. In human culture, we all bring half-half to the table. In the culture of heaven, he does everything you receive. Now, it is, if we ever ask you to bring anything to the table, it has to be out of the abundance of what you have received. Can we say amen? amen. Okay? So, and, and this is the reason why many people find it difficult to engage their relationship with the Lord. Because it is, it is vastly different from the relationships that we know. Society tells you, if you ask anybody, I mean, you can't be a leech. You have to bring something to the table and all of that. That's what society teaches. But you see, when it comes to God, yes, you will bring something to the table, but your service is always a response of your revelation of what He has given. So, the first thing that I want you to know is that if God gives wisdom, it is always in the light of what Christ has done. And we see that God gave Solomon wisdom here. The other thing that I want you to see is how that Solomon is married to a Shulamite woman, which is a picture of how Jesus is going to be married to Gentile people. Now, let me tell you one thing about the Gentile nation. They are not supposed to be able to lay claims to any of the promises and provisions of God. But because of what Jesus has done, alright, Gentile people, alright, will now come into that place where they can lay claims. Another thing that you understand from the name Shulamite is that that name actually means princess. In other words, one of the things that you must recognize, and this is so powerful, one of the things that you must recognize in this marriage union that we have with Jesus you being the bride, is that it's actually a royalty setting. The first thing that God tells Adam after he's created is to rule. Kings rule. So, the mindset in any, of anybody in this wedding or in this marriage is that you are royalty. You have just come into royalty and in royalty we rule. Are you hearing what I'm saying? That's how it operates. You've got to understand this. You have to understand this. Because the, the, one of the problems is that 
a bride is married to. I want to tell you this very, very humbly. That if you are in Christ, you have been given the best gift anybody can ever have. Let me tell you, and it is like society and like Satan to keep watering it down until it looks like you have nothing. But I'm telling you that every strong faith that I have, every conviction that I have, everywhere I know my life is going, is simply because I'm in Christ. You didn't hear me. Simply. So it's royalty. You've come into royalty. You have come into rulership. You are married to a king. And the first thing, both male and female, is that your mind has to begin to adopt these truths and, you know, express these realities. Let me tell you, both male and female, we are married to Christ. And I'm telling you, why is this important? It is what he's doing to you, I tell you. This is probably the most precious thing I'm going to say in all of this series. It's what Jesus is doing to you that you're going to do to the next person. If you're not doing it to the next person, you either don't know what he's doing to you or you're wicked. But you see, it is what Jesus is doing to you that you're going to do to the next person. So I've shown that much. Alright? But I, did, I also didn't talk about Boaz and Ruth. How many of you know that Ruth was a Moabite? She was not of the lineage of Judah. Just, just I mean, it's just amazing. All the while, alright, look at this. All the while, God was telling different stories leading to the climax of the story he's going to tell about you. All the while. So now a story is actually playing out. Like you read, oh boy, this is powerful. Like you read the story of Ruth and Boaz, okay? A story is actually playing out now that God is going to boast about in the future. And you are the major player in that character. Oh, you're not hearing what I'm saying. So in this union, he was typifying, using different marriage unions to typify what I'm going to bring you in. And now your whole story is being written. And you really want to tell me that it's going to be filled with you having broke days and depressed days and crying days. That's your own story. You know, the Bible says we are living epistles, okay? An epistle is still being written. A continuation of scripture is still being written. And that's you and I. All that God did with, with the people of old, okay, was a small fry compared to what he's doing with you. So now when it comes to your turn now, you as a bride, you enter suffering house. It's not possible. You understand what I'm saying? And you have to be convinced about this. Ladies, guys, you have to wake up every morning and I'm married to Jesus. You know who I am? I'm married to Jesus. And it's not, <laughs> it's not a conversation that you say because you didn't find who to marry. You understand? You say, you say, after waiting for 40 years, I'm now 45, I've not seen who to marry me, I'm married to Jesus, it can leave me alone. No! It's a consciousness, it's a revelation, it's something you're supposed to live with whether you're single or married. So you didn't get married and then be married to OKK. Okay? He's, a, he's, he's, he's who you're doing life with in the physical but in the supernatural, you, your, your relationship is with Jesus. 
So, that's something that I want to put out there. Now, here is what we are going to now look at. Let's go to Sons of Solomon, chapter number 1. And verse 1. I just want to show you a couple of things. The songs of songs, I said this, in other words, this is chief amongst all the songs that Solomon wrote. This song was written by Solomon. Solomon is um, called, the meaning of Solomon is peace, prince of peace. Okay? Verse 2, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. For your love is better than wine. First thing that you have to realize is that in this union that you have with Christ, He's constantly speaking to you tenderly. Tenderly. If you experience a kiss, you, I, I don't know how many of you have seen, oh boy, this is so powerful, thank you Lord. I don't know how many of you have seen kisses in a fight, like fight kiss. Like, how, how many of you have seen that? Like, kiss. They are kissing. And they are fighting. They are kissing. They are demonized. They are possessed. People are, no, so the idea, let's not be using that kind of picture. Yeah? In that moment, or something, and then no, but you can't be. You, you, that's the idea. You can't be. You can't be in anyway. The point here. <laughs> before I begin to use all my method to to solve fight, the point here is that the idea of being in a relationship, all right, with Jesus here is that He is constantly speaking tenderly to you. He's constantly speaking in an affirmatory uh, position to you. He's constantly bringing out the best in you. That's what Jesus is always doing to you. This lady here is longing for his kiss. Alright? And is he doing it physically? No. He's bringing you into a place of affirmation. Alright, where you are confident in who he says you are, you are attractive to him, you are the beloved of Jesus, and that's why this lady is looking forward to. And he says, your love is better than wine. Your love is better than wine in the sense that what I get from intoxication is actually not what I get from this Lover of my soul. Alright? Because wine can only do this much. But this intoxicating love of Jesus, who is the Prince of all peace, is going to bring calmness and rest to my heart. Can we say Amen? amen. Verse 3. Because of the savor of your good ointment, thy name is an ointment poured forth, Therefore, do the virgins love thee? Now, look at this. It says, draw me. I want to stay in verse 4 for a bit. It says, draw me. We will run after you. Look at this. 
The king has brought me into his chamber. Stop for a moment. The king has brought me into his chambers. Let me show you another scripture for a bit. Sons of Solomon 2 and verse 8. I want to tie the two together. I want to tie the two together. Let's look at verse 8. Sons of Solomon 2 and verse 8. I want us to read it together out loud. Want to go? Are you there? Sons of Solomon 2 and verse 8. Can we read together? Want to go? Alright, the voice of my beloved, he cometh, leaping upon the mountains and skipping over the fields. Now, let me put the two um, scriptures together. The king draws me into his chamber. Alright, he has pulled me in. It's symbolic of the fact in the old covenant and in those days, you can't just walk into a, king, a king's chamber. You can't come in. Without being invited. Okay? If you come in without being invited, part of what is, what is suggested is that you are coming to take out the king. So before you do that thing, they will kill you. Alright? You have to be invited. So if you go back there, it's a picture of the fact that we didn't find Christ, he found us. Alright, it's the pool that comes from the redemptive work of Jesus. It's actually Him who draws us close. Very important that you're not the one drawing the Lord close. Because if you draw Him close, okay, you can change your mind and lose your grip. If you are the one inviting yourself, you can decide that you are tired and you want to step out for a bit. That's, that's humor. It's prayer. The same thing that gets you excited today is the same thing that you are no longer excited about tomorrow. So, you didn't find Christ, He found you. You didn't draw Him, He drew you. The greater has drawn the lesser, the lesser is now in the chambers of the king. But now, here is the issue. The lesser who has been drawn into the king, into the king's chamber now has to understand the protocol of royalty. Now has to understand. That's why if you check um, um, David, David was pulled into Saul's chamber. He had to understand how they dressed. He had to remove his shepherd boy's clothes and start to, you understand, because it is the protocol of the king's house. There's a way we think, there's a way we talk, there's a way we behave here. Do you understand what I'm saying? You don't bring rags into the king's chamber. Check in scripture. Every time somebody needed to stand before the king, alright, they had to be well prepared. Esther had to be well prepared for months before she could stand in the king's presence. In other words, the moment you're coming into the king's house, the game has changed. Your mind has to change with the game. You have to accept that this is not life as usual. They may have literally picked you from off an Okada, but now that you are now in the presence of the king, you have to understand the protocol of the house. So, you know what's happening? You didn't draw yourself. I'm, 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 I'm sharing these things with you because it's going to help you. You didn't draw yourself. The king has drawn you in. Now, this scripture that I read actually talked about the fact that he climbed over mountains and climb over hills just to get in touch with you. Which is symbolic of the 
exuberance or how, how difficult it was for Jesus to become incarnate and take on flesh, die, be buried, rise again simply because of you. If you look at Romans, you realize that the conversation, really, because many people who are self-righteous and moralists and all of that, they don't understand that the conversation is who will go to heaven and bring him down. Who would go to the belly of the earth and raise him up. Before you start to boast, go to heaven, bring Christ down. Go to the belly of the earth, raise him up. Let me tell you, you know, we say Jesus died, he was buried, he rose again. That he rose again is actually false. He was raised. He didn't rise by himself. No, see, this is actually a very critical part of this conversation. If you're not a Bible scholar, yeah, what's the difference? It, 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 there's a difference. No, there's a difference between he rose up by himself and he was raised. Oh boy. Are you hearing what I'm saying? It's symbolic. It's a dynamic reality because Jesus did not rise by himself. Let me tell you, when Jesus was going to, 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 to his grave, okay, he was going that there in faith. Yeah, yeah. He was going there in faith, not knowing what was going to happen, but trusting in the Father's resurrection power and in the fact that the Father had spoken. No, it wasn't because ah, he knew that he would be... <laughs> he was in faith. He was going there in faith that he, he, the Father would, would be true to his word. Hey, Now imagine if the Father forgot that Jesus is in the grave. Imagine. Just imagine if for one moment you don't understand the one with whom you have to do. You don't understand. And that's why it's our job to always make you understand. Imagine, you project, you know, some people project a lot of religious things on, on, on Father. He's a, yeah, maybe he has forgotten. Imagine if he forgot. He forgot Jesus there four days, five days, one week, two weeks. Then one angel has to go and mind him. Oh God, Jesus is seeing him. Hey, hey. You understand? And now everything has changed because scripture can no longer be fulfilled. They say three days. Now it's now two weeks. How do you, how do you explain it? Ah, yes, how do you balance the equation now? You see, so the idea, and when I was praying about this, I was praying, I was praying that the conversation we will share today will be a light bulb moment in your spirit. Producing peace. I hear what I'm saying. So Jesus actually depended on the Father's power to raise him up. If the Father did not raise Jesus up, he wouldn't have been raised. Jesus did not raise himself. And that's symbolic. That, oh boy, this is powerful. If you come into Christ, look at me everybody, are you hearing what I'm saying? If you come into Christ and God gives you an assignment, he doesn't expect you to do it yourself. Listen and listen good. The idea is that the same way Jesus was raised from the dead by the power of God, so will you be helped in that which he has called you to do. That is the idea. Many people are breaking down under the weight of pressure because they think they will get the assignment done. No, we are in cooperation. 
with the Father, alright, to get your son. Just like Jesus said, okay, you know what, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. He came into cooperation with what the Father wanted. But guess what? That cooperation is all that you need. <laughs> the Father gets the job done. No, He will use you, but He gets the job done. Can we say amen? amen? Are you hearing what I'm saying? So now, look at this. The king has drawn me into his chambers. I didn't come myself. You couldn't have come to Christ yourself. Why is this so important that you get this? He married you. He drew you. He brought you close. It is important that you know the nature of the one who drew you. So he doesn't draw you today. When we say, when we say he's the same, let's say that together once ago. He's the same what? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Forever. Say it again. He's the same what? Uh-huh. You know, many of us think that it's as pertains to the universe, to the sun, to the moon, to the stars, to everything, but not as pertaining to you. So what happens to you is no more the same yesterday today. He changes his mind. One moment he's happy, another moment he's sad, one moment he wants to bless me because I've been a good Christian, another moment he, he's, he's really chasing me, looking for, looking for how he's going to harm me because I've been a bad Christian. Listen, the picture is this, if he pulls you in, he pulled you, you no, brothers and sisters, you didn't find him. There's a problem with that equation. If you found him, then we can say, you can experience the life of the ups and downs. No, he found you. He's different. He pulls you in. This one does not change his mind and say, tomorrow, I push you out. (laughs) No. It is the ever-loving consistency of our Father that we are need to be convinced about. Can we say amen? Amen. So, he went over the mountains and over the hills just to pull you in. Let's continue. Oh, this is powerful. It says, you have brought me into your chambers. We will be glad and rejoice in thee. We will remember your love more than wine. The upright love thee. Now look at verse 5. It says, I am black, but comely, O ye daughters of Jerusalem, as the tents of Kedah, as the curtains of Solomon. If you read through the book of Songs of Solomon, you're going to see the, the display of the perfect and lovely nature of Jesus, and then the imperfect nature of his bride. The word black here means I have spots. I'm not altogether lovely. I'm not altogether put together. But then she goes on to say, but I am beautiful. Another translation says, I am black, but I am beautiful. No, it's not black, it's beautiful. No. It is that this person, look at this, oh boy, this is so powerful. This lady has been paying attention to the kisses of the prince. So, she has been able to look past her imperfections 
to see in herself that he has made her beautiful. Black means they are dirt. But comely means this is what he has said. When you say but, it means you put a stop to what is the narrative for going. And then you are introducing a new narrative. So, I am black. In other words, I know me in and of myself. But I am comely because that's what he has said about me. And let me tell you. Every single one of you will be as victorious as what you know he has said about you. Your life of victory truly depends on what you know he has said about you. See, if you don't know, even you will shock yourself sometimes. And life can throw you off balance. And we say amen. amen. I am black, but comely, O ye daughters of Jerusalem, as the tents of Kedar, and as the cuttings of peace. Look at that. I am as beautiful as the cuttings. What do cuttings do? Cuttings, look at this. Cuttings either open you up to, some, to light, or closes you up to light. So, I am as beautiful as the curtains of peace that are open into my heart. Can we say amen? amen? Words of peace. Words that produce peace. Many of, many of us are tensioned by, by things around us. Alright? Your, your real beauty comes from how much peace is in your heart. So your curtains have to be open to Solomon. No, not Solomon. Solomon. Verse 6. Look not upon me because I am black. Because the sun has looked upon me. My mother's children were angry with me. Look, this, this lady is explaining something now. She says the reason why I am black is because the sun has hit upon me. Okay? So, there's been hostility in my environment. And this is where I'm going. I'm going somewhere with this. There's been hostility in my environment. You know, my mind is playing a fast one. Things are happening in my environment. There's hostility there. People are angry with me. Look at this. My mother's children are angry with me. Some of the conflicts some of you are facing in your life is simply because you work a job where nobody likes you. They don't want to promote you. They don't want to give you... They're nobody. I know some people who have experienced great hell simply because of the things that they're exposed to, where they work, and all of that. Pastor Phil was telling me two days ago, he said you know, that the medical practice is, is tough. But actually, if you, if you practice medicine in this country, you're doing your housemanship and all of that, it's tough. You will be thinking outside of the job. They are nice people, but on the job, they will make your life hell. So people can be going through all of these nasty experiences and it's beginning to define them. So let's continue. It says, they made me the keeper of the vineyards, but my own vineyard I have not kept. Now let's look at verse 7. Let's read that together. One to go. Stop. Who is she talking to? Is she talking to the environment now or she's talking to the prince? Okay, let's continue. 
Tell me, uh-huh. Let's read together, everybody, wants to go. Stop! What's she looking for? She's looking for where the lover makes his flock to rest. Picture of what this marriage is. If your marriage, if your Christian experience is full of labor, you are not in the right place. From the beginning till today, everybody, including this lady, beaten by the sun, beaten by everything, the idea is, tell me, O thou who my soul loveth, where you, means it is my, it is what I do. I take my flock at noon. Noon is supposed to be the time when the sun is the hottest, right? I take my flock at noon to go and rest them from the sun. I rest them. That's what this marriage is about. Come unto me, all ye that what? Labor and a heavy lady, and I will give you what? Rest. Rest is not just you lay your head to sleep. Rest is what you're believing. Rest is, in this case, alright, it is that the shepherd, but oh boy, the shepherd has taken his flock and he's going somewhere to rest them, protect them from the sun, protect them from the, from the scorching nature of the sun. A picture of what Jesus does to you in grace. He takes you in. First of all, you didn't draw him. He drew you. He brings you in. And then the idea is to rescue. So glory to God. If you are not experiencing rest in your heart. And rest in your soul. You have religion, not a relationship. Here they have been in church for a long time. I don't care. Brothers and sisters, if all you see in your life is how that things will not work, you're not resting. Turn to your neighbor and say, marry well, marry well. You know the first thing that, that marriage does to you? Hello church, how many of you know, and this is where I've been going all this while. How many of you know that after you marry, the night after you marry, you, you will not get fatter? You will not get fatter. You will not get taller. Nothing. Many of you won't even feel like you're married. But one thing has happened. The consciousness is that I am now married. So, the idea is that you are... You are let's read this together. Let's look at it. It says, tell me, O thou whom my soul loveth. So, she's talking to the one who... Her soul loves. Take me to the place where you rest your flock. In other words, let me tell you, as a believer, the picture of what a real Christian life should be for you is a picture of rest. Not the picture of those around you who are complaining, who are finding life difficult. Who are, let me tell you, there are more Christians failing than they are succeeding. There are more Christians sick than they are well. In fact, some, some, some lazy arguments show up online about, you know, I, in fact, I, th- that week when I had all the, all the time in the world, you know, to engage some of these people on social media, you know, some individual came out talking about the fact that, 
you know, we're not supposed to be preaching prosperity, and that prosperity is not the kind of message I'm supposed to be preaching, and blah, 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 and blah, blah. So I told him, I said, and this is the only time, I'll never respond to anybody on social media again, I don't. I told him, I said, Paul was actually very wealthy, very rich. And when you read the Hebrew scripture, and you find out that people died, okay, if you look at Hebrews 11, I don't have the time to go there. The people died not wanting to be saved. Go and read your Bible. Okay, for example, the Ukraine issue now. Alright, that's good. I just want to give you an example. So the US has told the president, we can take you and your family out. The guy said, no, I'm going to die with my people. So when you read the book of Hebrews 11, and you hear that these people died not wanting to be saved, it was that, look, there was a way out. They chose not to take it. They went the way of glory. As far it's a glorious thing to lay down my life. They didn't want to take the way out. Not that there was no way out. There's always a way out. Are you getting what I'm saying? So now, the picture that you have received, Paul was rich. All of the disciples are sharing during the week. All of the disciples who went through stuff, they did not go through stuff as personal sickness in their body, you know, and lack and all of that. No, 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 brothers and sisters. What they were going through was persecution for Christ's sake. The last time I checked, the headache is not persecution for Christ's sake. Is it? So why do you have it? Why are you making an excuse for it? Are you guessing what I'm saying? No, they suffered persecution for Christ's sake. People were being beaten. People were being lacerated. You understand? People were wounded. People were crucified upside down. People experienced all kinds of injustice because of their faith. My dear sister, my brother, if you suffer today, and you say you are suffering for the gospel, the next question I'll ask you is, when have you been slapped because of your faith before? Don't tell me that you are suffering for the gospel. No, you are suffering for yourself. Oh, don't put up that, that, um, that front of, no, and it's because you, you think that it's a noble thing. You think that it's a thing of pride, not to have shoes. Or not to be able to pay your bills. It's not a thing of pride. No, it's, that's, that's not something God is doing to you. Do you understand what I'm saying? What Jesus came to do is to rest us. It's in the old, it's in the new. And man, the Bible says labor to enter that rest. Labor. Labor to enter that. In other words, stay restful. Stay restful. Can we say amen? amen? It says, tell me, O thou whom my soul loves, where you feed and where you make your flock to rest at noon. For why should I be as one that turneth aside by the flocks of your companion? Now, two things going on here. Number one, show me where you feed your flock. Because feeding always goes on. 
God in this relationship always satisfies you. Then he rests you too. Don't you understand? You are a bride. Show me where you feed your flock. And where you make them rest. Where you lie, where you cause them to lie down. In other words, what you have come into, as I close, it's a marriage union between you and Jesus. The idea is not toil and labor. The idea is feeding and rest. And brothers and sisters, only when you are well fed and well rested can you truly serve. God doesn't want you serving him with bankrupt hearts. So if you wake up tomorrow and you're, you're, you're scared about whether you please God or not, he wants you to know that he is well pleased with you. Can we say amen? amen. Say this together with me. I'm married to Jesus. Say it again. Say, I'm married to Jesus. The Bible says that if he cares about the lilies of the field and about the sparrows, he says, will he not much more care about you, O ye of little faith? So I came in this conversation today to help you to realize that you are in a relationship with Jesus. There are bridal conversations constantly going on. Spring parties for you. Celebrating you with his best words. Speaking words of grace to you. Speaking words of favor to you. Always producing the right atmosphere for you. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So how does life start to make sense? Hear his words more. Become confident about his words. Don't, 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 see, don't go into a marriage relationship without an understanding of what Jesus is doing to you. Can we say amen? amen. Hallelujah. Say this with me, I'm the bride of Christ. Say it again, I'm the bride of Christ. Hello church, say it again, I'm the bride of Christ. Hallelujah. Let's look at Luke 11 and verse 31. And then that's where I'm going to close. I want everybody to read it together. If you have a mouth, I want you to read it together. Want to go? Luke eleven thirty one. Want to go? Mhm. Uh huh. Uh huh. Behold what? Behold what? See, every time you see Jesus direct... Okay, let me give you... Let me give you a clue. Should I do that? You see Jesus say in John 3 that just as the brazen serpent was lifted, so shall the Son of Man be lifted. Whenever you see Jesus comparing directly, directly comparing himself to something, it means that there is something in that thing he's comparing himself to that you're supposed to learn about him. So when he says a greater than Solomon is here, 
he's saying all that Solomon wrote about, alright, was the ones that was not about himself, was about me. Alright? And now I have come to, so some of you see, Solomon was the wisest person in the world. Solomon was the wisest person in the world. He was until you showed up. He was until you came. Because now, not only is your wisdom, alright, a textbook kind of wisdom, it's wisdom for living. It's daily. A greater than Solomon is here, and that greater than Solomon lives inside you. And his name is Jesus. So, all that this lady was talking about that the lover does to her, is what you should expect that your own lover does to you. Rescue. He has brought you into his chamber. You wouldn't have come any way, any other way. The curtains of peace are open. That's how you should say the curtains of peace are open to my heart. Some of you have been so troubled. Imagine for one moment, alright, Ben, that you're married to a Prince Charming. Prince Charming. Alright? I mean Prince Charming, you know, that, that has everything that you need at your disposal. Lord, I thank you because you're helping this thing to rest. Say this with me, my heart is open. My heart is open. So imagine you're married to a Prince Charming. That has everything that you need. And um, 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 you're going to be thinking about how to go to the market and, and how to get your feet dirty and how to buy the things that you need. Is that what you're going to be doing? If for any day you decide to go to the market, it's because you want to have, it's like adventure to you. Like, let me just see what's happening. Well, how, how are these people living? Like, how, how do they process things? Because you don't live there any longer. Are you getting what I'm saying? Long before you meet a physical Prince Charming, you have a saving Prince Charming. You have a savior king. You see, the problem is, for many people, it's too abstract. So you can't pull out of it. But I'm telling you, belief systems are, are strong. They are strong. They will determine where your life goes. And so God has given you words to be believed. The curtains of my heart are open to peace. You talk like that. I'm not open to chaos or trouble. The picture that I have of Jesus is that he's always resting in. He's always talking. So if your Holy Spirit is shouting at you, <laughs> slapping you, kicking you, that's your conscience. That's not the Prince of Peace. Can we say amen? amen? Glory to God. Hallelujah. Have you been blessed? Thank you for engaging yourself in this episode. We trust that your life has been beautified. If you'd like to share what Jesus is doing in your life with this ministry, please write to us at hello at blueprintstories.org.